something new to try. I quite like that. You quite like it? <laughs> yeah. It's a new addition. For those of you tuning in on YouTube, you will see and you will notice we have made adjustments to the Granny Studio. We're going with a new vibe this week. Bit of Matt's idea, you see. He's, <laughs> a, he, he's the production manager this week. Welcome back to episode seven of the New Levels Coaching Podcast. Absolutely delighted and honoured to be joined by my good friend, Matthew Wood, who many of our audience will know from run-through events. Matt is a very good friend, a long-term friend, and it's quite fitting that we're back here in Loughborough because that's where our running journey started together, although we used to compete against each other at a very young age. Yeah. I believe our paths first crossed when we were around about 15, Matt. Probably, yeah. It was a young, young time. It was great back then, competing against each other at that, that level. We were so competitive, but I think the first time I actually came across you and actually had a conversation with, with you was at Loughborough University in the student union where you bounced over to me all happy and said, you're Matt Wood, aren't you? <laughs> well, you were a celebrity in my mind. <laughs> you were famous. Uh, we'll, we'll go on to that about how, how we met and how we got carried away in our first week of university training <laughs> and maybe how we still get carried away now and excited with, with projects and particularly passion projects. So what is this podcast all about? Well, before we go on to that, I wanted to introduce Matt and to give you a bit of a background around his running background and, and where he, he is now with his running and with life in general. As I said, Matt, was a very good runner when I came to university. I, I classed him as God, really. He was, uh, he was a bit of an inspiration to me. He was a northern lad who was doing really well, really high up on the UK rankings. For those footballers who are tuning in, Matt actually broke a British record that was held by the Welshman, Gareth Bale. It was a British indoor record, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was actually in the Times. There's a little article. I've got that. And every time my mates from back home like, see Gareth Bale mentioned this show, this article of me. Well, it was actually Gareth Bale ran 408 for 800. Uh, 1500 meters when he was 16 the british record was held by matt wood at 359 and like it wasn't entirely accurate because it was the indoor record rather than the outdoor record but i'm taking it so so you had the british record and they were comparing gareth bale to you exactly yeah ah, okay got you got you see he's, he's no he's, gareth bale is no matt wood that's what we're saying <laughs> that's what we're saying gareth bale can it a golf ball though i see it at the rider cup recently anyway we we digress but matt and i met at loughborough university and as i say i was very familiar with matt he was a high achiever unfortunately he had a, a bad knee injury at university but we were training partners for a good few years shared many a training trip together and uh, Matt has never left or lost his passion for running so much so when he came out of university despite traveling around the world he then set up run through events which I know a lot of our viewers and listeners will be familiar with run through events is now one of the biggest event operators in the UK if not worldwide it certainly has the most events operating in the UK and they've now expanded to trails they're on the road and they are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger I think it's a true testament to Matt's passion for the sport as well as his business passion partners Ben's passion for the sport and our paths crossed again as friends and then business partners when we set up runner retreats which uh, we're still very proud owners of and Matt now has a very big influence over new levels coaching and, and we do a lot together on the coaching side of things as well I thought there was no better guest to bring in to talk about all things related to work-life balance when it comes to training and we'll go into a lot more detail about that so first off Matt I always start by asking, what have you been up to recently? <laughs> I think for you, that's been a little bit different to what you've normally been up to. Yeah, recently, I suppose over the last few weeks, I've been to, well, I ran a marathon. I've um, had a young child recently, Phoebe, and she's growing up and seeing that happen. She's five months old now. I've been to Latvia for the RWF World Running, World Running Conference. 
We've organised events, the world's first free running event at Warrington, 6,000 people. Last week we were in Battersea Park doing a, a running festival with 2,000 people, um, helping out like you guys in behind the scenes with various things with the retreats and having conversations around that sort of stuff and working with the amazing run-through teams to help build these events and, and grow new ones too. So there's lots going on personally for, from that perspective and the marathon part of it, the running part of it, which is why you guys are listening in today, is it's been quite interesting in the build-up to it and I think we'll touch on that later on. But yeah, that's what I've been up to. And, and I kind of wanted to touch on that bit in particular around the marathon and, as I said, work-life balance. But one one factor that has become more apparent in Matt's life is family life balance, which I know is a big thing for a lot of our listeners and, and viewers. And you've got now your very proud dad of Phoebe. Little Phoebe arrived this year. Uh, and obviously Lucy is, is still doing a cracking job. But Lucy is also running as well. She started her running journey again. She recently did a 10-miler, is that right? Yeah, she did a 10-mile race and... She has done, I think it's three marathon majors at this point in time. So she is a runner. She's been doing it, but she was originally a, a synchronized swimmer. So it's all new to her. But she's been working at run-through events since 2016, full-time, I think, since 2017. So she knows running events inside out, and we're around it all the time. And for me, having the little one, I'm probably not the best person to talk to about balance from that perspective. I think other dads will be better at that than me. Um, but I've luckily to have a, an amazing wife that can um, kind of support me in the things that I'm trying to do uh, in the sport and grow. And I'm learning how to balance myself a little bit with that. And <laughs> so. an amazing support network as well with your family. I think I see you, your now mum and dad who are now grandparents getting involved and yeah, grandparents down south. But I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this where they, they it's still a major life change. Like you say, Lucy's very much hands-on mum and taking a little bit of a back step from work naturally as they as they do uh, with their maternity leave. And <laughs> She says that, but she's been like, Full blown since the start. <laughs> yeah. she's been at, she was at events after two weeks since giving birth. Amazing, and, amazing. Yeah, so she, she's a bit of an anomaly, really, and that—that's probably the difference between like a normal structure and when you kind of have a business and the intensity of that sort of stuff. You do get dragged into things a little bit uh, differently, and yeah, that, that's the thing to balance. And we're we're slowly getting used to having a little person just sitting there looking at us, saying, "No, nope, I need your attention," not the uh, the emails or the the Facebook or the like the, the operations plans and staff members with issues like it, it's kind of like we're having to find new ways of dealing with that stuff in terms of hiring people and working with people who understand things and yeah I'm all I'm learning well I'm gonna start there because I think um, I've been working a lot on my personal values recently I've done a lot of work with sport and business psychologists over the last sort of year 18 months and I've really kind of dialed into these values, like what underpins us as, as humans. And I, I'm going to take a bit of a guess here at some of your values, knowing you as, as a person. You're a fr very friendly, upbeat person. And I know friends and family mean a lot to you. So you, you're going to have to factor that into the equation, especially with, with a newborn in there. But I know how much your running means to you as well. And I, and I feel like that would be a big part of your values, particularly health and fitness and being health and healthy and fit. Um, but then your work is such a passion of yours and you're, you're driven to succeed and you're a hard worker. And I would say um, the value I would that say that aligns to is growth. And I don't, I'm not having to dig at your height here. 
<laughs> We're not the tallest of men, Matt like and I. have got like half an inch on him, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean is personal growth in a sense of you always seem to be striving, not for more, because I think that's the wrong word. I think you're always striving to better yourself and you do that very much in, in a work capacity. So they're my kind of visions of your values, certainly what I see. Am I around, along, along the right lines there and, or have I missed something? And if I am along the right lines, how, how do you then make sure you get all those values into your lifestyle and how are you balancing it? Yeah, so I think on the last point there, the growth thing is has been something that's been so important to me since I can remember. And when I first got the taste of from a young, young age, and this is probably something like a parenting thing if people are watching with kids, I was competing at 10, 11, 12, 13 uh, in athletics events, but also football and wanting to win and being in town teams and local football clubs and just wanting to win at that point in time. And when I got to a point where I was conscious that if I did training, I would improve. And then obviously having conversation with my dad, who was also quite um, fit and healthy himself and racing and doing marathons and watching him do that sort of thing was obviously inspiring but then being around people who were also trying to better themselves in athletics, that was massive for me. So when I got to 15, 16, 17, after I'd already won national titles at younger age groups, so I got to 17 before Loughborough, I was coming up with my own training plans. I was researching, reading books, like um, autobiographies of famous runners, all of them, Ron Hill, Sevco, Avet, uh, Moorcroft, everything. I was reading The Law of Running, I was educating myself I knew every single world record I knew every single uh, distance time that some of the top athletes have run over the last few years I was so educated on the thing that I was passionate about which was athletics and, and winning from that perspective I wanted to know how to win and at that point in time my delusion was probably telling me that I was going to win the Olympics in about four years time so and going to Loughborough would be that step to do that so when I went to Loughborough and I was exposed to everyone else who was also thinking the same thing that I was thinking you kind of get a little bit lost in that. And when something doesn't quite go quite right, right, a session doesn't go well, a, a race doesn't go as good as you thought, then that kind of stunts it a little bit. And the growth mentality that I had from when I was younger was always there. But then I was trying to find hacks to fix that. And some of the hacks that I had was my eating and, and not being great with that and trying to find ways to improve my VO2 max because I did VO2 max test. So I thought, right, if I decrease my weight, my VO2 max will improve, which means I'm run faster but I was already probably at the limit of my weight, what I needed to be, because yeah. I was already eating reasonably healthy and training really, really hard. So those things in my mind were always, it was always growth and improving. And then when I eventually got my injuries and I decided to stop running at a competitive level when I was 20, what, uh, 20, 20, 21, I think it was. Uh, yeah, 21. I then changed my mindset to like business and uh, building companies and doing that, all that sort of stuff. At the start, it wasn't necessarily... I didn't necessarily have the answers straight away and it wasn't run through at that point in time because I hadn't had that conversation with Ben and it was like a good six, seven years of me exploring the world and starting things, getting things wrong. I had nightclub businesses. I had run like two nightclubs in Leeds at one point. I was I did a sports massage therapy business in, in Melbourne, Australia and I was, I was did everything. Uh, not only jobs, but businesses and lost a lot of money, gained bits and then over a period of time you learn those experiences and at the same time, I'm reading books. I'm listening to, well, it wasn't really podcasts back then, but it was more it like audio books yeah. and physical books and that sort of stuff. And asking so many questions to everyone that I came across who were older than me, more experienced than me, 
and just absorbing things and never having the answer myself, always playing, almost playing dumb in a way. And I think by doing that, I gained more knowledge than thinking I knew it all. It's That's a really good point around learning from other people. I think in our world, in the running world, there's a lot out there now and it can be sometimes a dangerous game because there's so much out there. But I've kind of prided my coaching experience on learning from other people around me, always wanting to learn, listening to conversations and, and picking the right things from people and not being afraid to make mistakes as well as, as you quite rightly pointed out. When you said, you, I've just picked up on something you said, I was exploring the world. I got the impression you were kind of exploring yourself as well. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, massively. Like my whole identity was tied to running and I had a real downtime when I realized I wasn't going to make the Olympics I, I finished a race at Loughborough it was the books trials remember it well yeah yeah and my my basically one of my best mates and my essentially roommates were in that race with me as well Miles Barrett at Kieran Flannery and we ran that race and about 150 minutes to go I just stepped off the track and I walked off and I walked through the fields and I cried my eyes out on a field called my dad and said it's over and he was he probably knew it at that point in time, but I only just realized at 21 that I was never going to make the Olympics. And when that happened, it, it took me a while to get over that. In the year I had in between, I went to Camp America, basically. I missed my graduation, went to Camp America in the States, New York, met some amazing people, some of my best friends now that I, I met out there. And we spent three months just looking after the kids and running around the trails and doing weights in the gym and having drinks in the pubs and just had a really good time. And I came back and I, I thought, right, what do I want to do now? And what I want to do was go see the world again. But I thought I'd be smart about things. I did like a low conversion course. So I was so focused on my education to make sure I was doing the right things from that perspective. Did it locally to home to save money, to save money up for traveling. Got enough money for traveling. I was working at the same time and then spent everything I had on like around the world ticket having an amazing time around the world yeah but why like, not why yeah, not yeah. and i think you become more cultured for that and um, i'm going to backtrack a little bit to the point where you said you know that realization of not making olympics something we touched on in an earlier podcast the one i did with Gemma. i think it might have even been episode one so if you've not heard that one you know go back and check it out but we spoke about or i certainly highlighted that it's almost a frustration of mine as a coach that this exactly what you're describing that people don't achieve the big goal that they're after. Um, and quite often with the raw emotion of it all, and it's totally understandable, we forget about the journey we've been on. And the journey you've been on to get to that point is still a massive achievement. You know, you've set records, you've had international vests, uh, you've met some amazing people, you've traveled the world all through running, which wouldn't have happened if you'd not gone after the goal. Yet we tie ourselves so closely to that one achievement and we measure ourselves on it. Like you said, it's over. But the reality is um, running wasn't over. No. You were going to take a break from it and probably needed to, fair to say. Um, but then you, you've you gone full circle and you've come back to it and you realize there's so much more to running. I think that's the message I want to get across to people is there's so much more to running than being defined by one goal. It's, it's so much more. It means so much more to us than that. And I think it's, yeah, I keep using that word fair to say. I think it is fair to say that you've now found that balance. Definitely. Like I, even just talking to you recently and you being a competitive athlete, competing in the world championships and doing fantastic things. So then now you still watching you still have that drive to try something new out to compete at, at trails at a very high level and, and learn new skills is, is inspiring to see. And I, I went through that transition, but I was younger and a bit more immature and I wasn't quite there yet. And I had from 21 to 24, 
I even though I was I defined by running, I didn't hate it. I just didn't want to do it or talk about it. Yeah. So I talked with people in nightclubs and uh, bars and it wasn't through running, it was through me as a person. My personality was the reason why they were friends with me, not because I was a, a good runner as a kid, which was great to, to know that I had that in the locker as well. And then when I came back to the UK and I'd started a business over here and then I went to meet Ben for a coffee and, uh, sorry, for a beer actually, and we discussed potentially doing something together. Running and run through was still, like, was was just born then because I was like, right, all these skills in organizing events, all these skills in marketing, I had my own marketing agency at the time, and all these skills that I've learned over a period of time, combined with someone like him with his finance background and his passion for running as well, it aligned so well. And then from that point onwards, my, my passion for it all just zoomed back in. Because it was always there. It was always inside. You'd kind of taken a break from it, but the underlying passion for the sport and running was always there because you'd check in with me. Yeah. You'd, you'd come travel with me. You came to Istanbul watch to watch me at the World Championships. Like That passion for running was always there. Um, it had maybe just taken a little bit of a back step and unfortunately you and Ben got together and they say when you find what you're passionate about and you make it your job, you don't work a day in your life. Yeah. And I know that is very much your mindset. I'm going to ask you for a couple of learnings here that maybe our audience can take from this. Certainly our younger audience. Hopefully there's some younger athletes tuning in and, and listening or watching on YouTube. What do you know now as an older, mature athlete that you would potentially do differently back in those, particularly between 15 and 19? Would you do anything differently? And what would you say you've learned that potentially would have made a difference back then? I think I listened to too many people. Okay, interesting. Um, so when I went to, oh, I thought that other people had the answers. And the reality is I had the answers. Yeah. And when I was 17 and I was training at home, my old coach, Arthur, he was involved in my training, but it was really me making up the sessions and my dad advising me and talking about it with him. When I went to Loughborough, I thought these coaches of these other athletes had something that I could take to improve myself. So I thought, I've got me. I need your information, your information, and then I will become X. But that's not the case. Like, I wasn't those athletes. I wasn't from their background. I wasn't from their situation. And one person's words aren't going to change the way you do things. You have to, this is my kind of thoughts, and I, I have to take people's advice. And if I don't need it, I don't need it. Yeah. And I, I kind of wish I'd have just stuck in my lane and done the mileage, which I, I should have done. I, I reel things back. I became a runner who focused on quality rather than quantity, and I'm a quantity person yeah. in everything that I do. You know that from running yeah. events and the volume of work and everything, I'm quantity. Yeah. So that's how I function better. But then to strip that back, the thinking time that I got off the back of that wasn't useful for me. And the quality work that I need to do, I'd already done when I was younger, and I, was, I didn't need it. So the, this is a really fascinating point for me because I remember sat, somebody asked me, uh, one of our friends said, oh, what was the difference between yourself, Miles, Matt, uh, you know, at university, why did some of you carry on? Why did some of you stop? And and obviously injuries comes into that, particularly with yourself and Miles, who had quite bad injuries. Um, but I said, look, if you look at it on an ability scale, we we're all in and around the same sort of scale. There wasn't a real difference. Somebody have, might have a little bit more natural talent than somebody else. But when you get to that standard, what you usually find is a big group of athletes right in the same zone. And then there's the odd one or two outliers who we see. And we could give examples of that from our time, like a Ricky Sues, for example, seemed to me like he was just one of these kind of freaks of nature. Yeah. But then the rest of us all sat in this category. 
And then the friend in question said to me, well, what was the difference? And I said, well, I'll, I'll break it down. And I said, I'll use Matt as an example. And you've just absolutely hit the nail on the head. I said, I always felt like Matt was looking for answers that he already had. He was looking for the next magic bullet or, and actually he just needed to be patient and do the work. But he fell into that trap, which we see so many people do now. They think that they've got to do something different and the formula that they have is already working. Yeah. And, and that's something we see, don't we, all the time with runners now. It's like, what can I do next? What can I change? What can I add in? Same yeah. with gym. What's a new gym fad? What's a new lift? And I think the overriding message there is sometimes patience is key. Yeah, I, I think patience, but you have to trust the, the information you're getting. And one thing I didn't really trust was the information I was getting because I think the information I had was already in my mind. I should have stuck to what I wanted to do, done my own training in my own time and I had the comment. But if I hadn't done those things, I wouldn't have I spent so much time with amazing people that are still touching like yourself and I, I would have had a different life. So you can't really, I don't look back at anything that I've done and say I would change it because even though things might have been regrettable or things that I didn't like at that point in time or things that I think I'm not proud of, it made me who I am now. And the things I do now will make me who I am in 10, 15 years' time. So I, I, you can't look back like that, I don't think. And and that was going to be, you kind of stole on my next question. Is like, would, would you actually go back and change it? I'm glad you've said it. Je Gemma and I always go to this because for those of you who know Gemma, my wife, she, she went through a traumatic time in 2012 where she was diagnosed with cancer. And she quite openly says she wouldn't change that phase of her life and people think she's lying you know why why would you want to go through that treatment again that horrific cycle that horrific period of your life but she says that she learned so much from herself and it made her the person she is today yeah. and I feel like it's the same with you obviously a totally different example and people will have their own examples and own experiences and I, I like to refer to it as like all these little things that you've done all the mistakes you've made all the learnings you've had they're constantly just upgrading you and it comes back to that value of yours which is it's a growth value. You're hundred percent just growing the the entire time. Again, not not in height. But <laughs> <laughs> so that, that that is that's definitely something that I'm passionate about, like growing myself and taking in information from different places. And yeah, sometimes like the information I get, I'm, I don't need. But sometimes the information that I get can change the course of my day or change the course of what could happen in the next ten years. So you need to find the right people to listen to but also not be afraid of listening to people that you don't know yet and that sort of stuff. But don't be afraid to push it away. I think it's a really good lesson for people, you know, absorb it by all means, mm. but then almost take some time to process it and think, what what do I need? And actually, what do I just need to forget? Yeah. And But but take the time to listen and learn. And, and you are brilliant at it. I mean, you're constantly sending me things like little reels or snapshots <laughs> of things. And at first, I'll be honest, I used to get annoyed thinking, why is he sending me this again? Like, But then I know that that's how your mind works. You're saying to me, look, have a look at that, but don't necessarily act on it, but just have a look at it mm. and see what you think. Whereas I used to think everything you sent me, you like, you wanted me to act on it. I was like, <laughs> God, now he wants me to set up a hairdressing business. What's he on about? <laughs> but it but is. that is true though. And I do, I do it to, and Ben's been working with me for a long time. And he knows that. Like for, in my head, I think of myself as like, and it was like an AI in a way. <laughs> like I'm, compi I'm compiling data in my own brain by listening and watching and learning. And sometimes I need the, the sounding board of someone that I trust and respect the opinions of to say, no, that's silly, that's not silly. And if I don't get that feedback, then I'll just kind of maybe go on a spiral of thinking about it too much. And I also, at the same time, I'm trying to not upskill, but 
kind of educate the people around me the way I want things to go. Uh, and if I don't do that, and then I have a decision that needs to be made, and they don't, they don't have the information that I have, they won't make the same decision as me. They'll make a different one because they haven't had that information. So I'm at the same time, like annoying you, but at the same time trying to like give information that I'm seeing to everyone that I know. And yeah. To, to kind of set the scene here and give you a little bit of perspective on this, Matt jumps on a meeting with myself and Ben when we have a meeting together and Matt joins with his note taker. Now his note taker is an AI note taker. So he comes on with his little friend and we make a joke about it each week. But I think it kind of shows you that he even wants to make notes of the meetings in case he got, needs to go back and learn something from it. So the the devil is in the detail in this book, yeah. but you, you love it, you absorb it, and you go, yeah, I can go back to that if I need to. So that just gives people a little bit of an insight into to your mindset. Yeah, well, it's the same. People ask me, like, I've read all these books and all that sort of stuff, and I probably couldn't quote you one line from any of the books I've read, but I said to someone a few months ago, I was like, I've read these books, but I become the words that I read. I, I become everything that I absorb. Yeah, Maybe not that one thing, but everything together will become who I am. And yeah, I like to look back on stuff and reflect on conversations because sometimes I'll say something I don't know if I've even said and I'd be like well that was pretty good and I'm like okay that's good information for me to use for the next conversation and yeah I like it I like it you become the words you are almost subconsciously you forget what it said but you've stored it internally and you're then acting and behaving like that yeah. love it okay you've mentioned ben a lot and and for those who don't know ben ben green is co-founder of uh, run through and obviously has a big part in sport retreats runner retreats as well which uh, is great because we get to work together a lot um ben and yourself set up run through and it's quite obvious from the conversations you have a very close relationship uh, but you became very busy men very, very quickly. You know, I just remember you guys going to event after event after event, driving vans up and down the countries and seeing run through kind of explode really very, very, very quickly, which was great from where we were at Bushy Park in the first ever event <laughs> yeah. and we come to help to where it is now. But it's your lives have changed quite substantially in that period of time. But what I do observe is you're still very busy, but you're not busy in a bad way. I never look at it and think that, oh, my God, he's not got time for friends because you and Ben are always first any social occasion. You're always first to be there if you're needed. You're never too busy to stop what you really want to do, which I think is a good sign. You're what I class as a good busy. You're busy for the right reasons and you're busy because you're doing the thing that you enjoy. But one thing that does baffle me, and Ben is still a very good runner himself. I think he paced his brother to a sub 240 marathon yeah. in London, didn't Just he? Casually, yeah. Running with a GoPro as yeah. well, recording it. So Ben's still operating at a high level. You've just pretty much almost broken three hours for the marathon as well. So how, how are you guys balancing that? How do you look after your health and fitness alongside the work and alongside now your, your family life? I think for, for Ben, I think it's always been part of his life, like his some of you guys might have come across his dad, Graham Green, and just by looking at the man, you think he's in good shape. Yeah, uh, <laughs> looks great. He looks great. He's in his mid-50s running 230s for marathons. And yeah, from a background where, and Ben's been from a background where he's never really stopped. He has, has had injuries and he's had things that have stopped him from training. But the fact he's been consistently keeping himself fit and healthy. But for Ben, a rest day is going to the gym. Like he's got that mentality of where fitness is his life as well. And I've had that as well, but the reason why I haven't competed at a high level was my diet, essentially, and I enjoyed my food and my drink, and I didn't really, I always trained, I just didn't really think about those side of things. 
And so for, for the business and what we did with running events, we can't actually do the running events at the same time you're organizing them. Now it feels okay because we've got staff members who go to the events and are doing the operations on those events was we don't have to do that so we can go and run a few. We didn't run any events ourselves until like 2021, really. I think I've, the first race I ever did was in 2021 or 2020. The first run-through race. Yeah. Wow. And we'd been going for like seven years. It's because we were driving the vans from London to Manchester, yeah. unloading vans, and the intensity of what we were doing, other people would think were crazy, and the staff members that are with us on that ride at the start will have those stories in the locker for the rest of their lives because we were doing something pretty exceptional. Like run about doing like 90 events, 90, 90 to 100 events individually, driving vans up and down the country every single weekend, Saturday and Sunday, up at three o'clock, uh, finishing by four or five. Like these are intense days. And in the week time, when we first started, we both had, I had my marketing agency and Ben had his, his career at Unilever. And we were working from five, six o'clock until one, two in the morning together, like making websites, doing adverts, like replying to customer emails, everything. So we've always had that intensity about us. So now it feels like really easy, if I'm honest with you. Even though we have lots on, it's not the same. Like I do feel, yes, there's lots going on. There's lots of things to think about. But I do have time to wake up and go for a run. I do have time to have my, do my stretch every day. It's just a framing in your mindset of like, yeah, I'm busy, but that's important to me. That was going to be my word. Do, do you feel like you still prioritize your running then because it is important to you? Yeah, I think recently, like as of the three-hour marathon thing that I did recently, was it's come about from me wanting to be more, a bit more consistent about the way I look and what I eat and put in my body. And for the last six months, I've been eating better. I've been going to the gym. I've been doing running a longer distance three times a week. But yeah, I've been more conscious of it rather than being an unconscious thing that I have done for the last years before that i'm gonna go to that in a second around that conscious choice because I, I do believe it's a conscious choice of how we look and feel about ourselves and i took a lot of learnings from you uh, in in that example but i'm also going to just backtrack ever so slightly to and try and relate this analogy to to the runners who we work with about run through so run through celebrated its 10th birthday right and saying yeah, yeah. this year so 10 years and you're describing the first kind of years and and said you know it took me seven years of operating at run through before i actually ran a run through race because up until that point i was pretty much still working all the events yeah. dig, digging your hands in so runners how, how does that this relate to you well one of the most common mistakes we see with runners is they want quick fixes they want to skip the the basics they want to get to the level that they want to be at too quickly and it's the same with businesses it's why a lot of businesses fail they're not willing to put the groundwork in themselves do all the hard work what we refer to as the base building phase and build that really strong pyramid but you've just described it perfectly at run through what you and ben did really well with your team at run through is you built this amazing base that now is being laid on top of and the bigger you build that base, as we said in the last podcast with, with Matt Long, the bigger you build that base, the higher the peak can go. And guess what? Run-through's peak is still going up and up and up because this base is, is now there. And our runners and our listeners can certainly relate to this by thinking, well, if you skip that base period, things will crumble just like a business. It'll start to fall apart. But if you work hard on it and if you are patient, then you will be able to get to that peak. But it does take time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And sometimes it is. 
you do think, okay, I want to run a, a sub four hour marathon, for example, and you think, okay, I can do that within this period of time. But if you haven't done the year before that of just basic zone two, easy running to get yourself fit and active, you're probably not going to do it. And you're going to be disappointed when you get to this goal day and then don't meet it. And yeah, the same thing in business, the same thing in everything. You need to build that strong, strong base of time and effort and attention on, on one thing. And I think I've taught myself again the last nine months, I suppose, is that I needed to do that consistent thing. So I forced myself to go to the gym three times a week, even though like I don't like it. Like yeah. I don't like doing leg weights. It is really boring. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> but the benefits of doing it have been like so much better. And at the same time, if I could combine that with a maybe a, a, a vain goal of looking a bit better when I look at myself in the mirror, and it means I can do three runs but do them a bit longer and then do 16 mile, 20 mile, 22 mile, 22 mile run to then do a marathon. Like that's not something I would have done before in that structured way. So yeah, building the base, being thoughtful and consistent is, is, is massive. Okay, let's talk about that. I, we refer to it as purposeful practice, being thoughtful about what you do. And like you say, we don't enjoy everything we do. I think that's a misconception. People, you know, might look at you and think, oh, Matt's in great shape now. You know, he's eating well. He's going to the gym two, three times a week. He must love the gym. And as you say, you don't necessarily love the gym. No. But you know it's part of your makeup. It's back to those values. It's something that you feel passionate, passionately about. I, I worked with Sports Psych this year, and I learned a lot around kind of the Steve Peters model around the chimp paradox, which I know a lot of people will have, will have heard of. And what I started to figure out about that, which I didn't realize the first time I read the book, was that your chimp can be a good and a bad thing. And I used to think it was all just a bad thing. And I have a strong value in health and fitness as you do and I and I actually like to feel good not necessarily look good but sometimes when you do look good or you think you look good that makes you feel better as well so I don't and what I mean by that is I don't want to be overweight and I don't want to be overweight because I don't feel like I like myself for looking in the mirror and I don't hope that doesn't come across arrogant I know a lot of people will think the same thing and I know you do because we had this discussion but also, my my chimp can sometimes say to me, I can get up out on a morning and my chimp screaming, oh, stay in bed, you know, give yourself that extra 10 minutes. But I've got to recognize that at that point in time, it's my chimp that's acting. But if I go to my human, me, Lewis, I, I've got to realize that I actually want to get out the door and I actually want to run because I want to look good. And I want to ultimately, I want to feel good. And I know I feel better after I've ran. And then we go to the gym I also know that the gym is going to allow me to do the running. And the, the biggest thing we get from people is how do you stay motivated to do the things that you don't like doing? So how do you do it? I don't think I'm motivated. I think I'm, I'm surprisingly disciplined for someone who comes across probably like not so much. When I wasn't disciplined with my own eating and my own health, I was extremely disciplined with my business and my work. The time and effort and attention I put into that sort of stuff no one will see that stuff that I did, but yeah. I did it. And now I'm putting a bit more attention of that into my fitness. And yeah, I don't think I'm motivated to go to the gym or motivated because I didn't have a, a marathon goal time. I just wanted to do a marathon. And I knew I could run a marathon because I could go run one whenever I wanted to because I can get around it because I've done it three times before. Yeah, Not to a fast pace, but I've, I've done it. So it wasn't motivation. It was just being straight with myself and the major thing for me, the turning point was in COVID. Uh, so as soon as that happened and I lost all the events and we essentially didn't have a business because the only thing in COVID that you didn't want to do is bring people together. <laughs> and that was our entire business. 
So that was a real reflective point and it changed a lot in my brain to do with run through. It also changed a lot in my brain to do with me personally. And I went on this streak where I said, I'm not going to, I'm going to stretch every single day because for years I've been saying I'm always injured. My knee always swells up. I've had two knee operations. So um, I've had no cartilage in my left knee as well. So I've not got the best grounding for that, but I made excuses up. I told myself, right, I want to stay in bed. I didn't do that, but I told myself I I couldn't run a long distance because my knee hurts. Yeah. So I thought, no, I'll try something I haven't tried before. So I stretch every single day for 25 minutes. And I, I've done that now since well, it's over two, over three and a half years now. Yeah. Like consistently every day. And the only days I've missed was two days on two different stag do's, including my own one night. And that's so, because we were stretching on the dance floor. So. That was it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that two days in three years of not doing a conscious effort to stretch every day. And don't get me wrong, I'm not looking forward to getting up and doing a stretch. And sometimes when I'm traveling and I'm on a plane and I have got get to the hotel room and it's 11 o'clock at night, I've got to do my stretch. Because routine, it's, it's routine. habit. I have to do it. Yeah. I can't break that streak. And I've got that one. And the book... Um, Atomic Habits. Yeah, is it James, James Clear. Clear, yeah. That book, I read that book around that time and it just somewhat stuck in my mind and I was like, you need to build on one habit, build on one thing. And that stretching for me was that. Then everything else has been built on top of it. So my fitness has improved, my mindset's improved, like everything has improved since I had that one core thing. And yeah, I think that it's not for me motivation, it is discipline. So the, there's a really famous in, I think it came from the High Performance Podcast, actually, but I know Jake Humphrey did mention it in the High Performance Podcast live show that, that we went to. And they say that motivation comes from action, from taking action, not vice versa. But people think that they're just going to get motivated. Like one day they're going to jump out of bed and go, woohoo, yeah, I'm motivated. But actually, it's actually taking the first step and taking action that then leads to the motivation, like getting into your stretching routine. And people might sit here and think, oh, well, I need to stretch every day to stay injury free. Um, and a lot of physios will tell you at the minute, the research says that stretching doesn't help performance. I think it's more about understanding what you need as a person. I know that stretching for me provides me with a little bit of me time and a little bit of almost meditation and breathing. So that's why I do it. And often with these things, if you think they're helping, they often do help. Yeah. And and like you say, there's, there's other factors that are contributing to you running injury free, including going to the gym and, and doing your strength work and probably managing your intensity a little bit better, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Is that's that something massive, you've changed? Massive, massive part of it as well, because when I was competing at a high level, your sessions were Tuesday, Thursday, uh, Saturday, and these were intense, the hill sessions, the track sessions, and even the weight sessions you're doing, you're pretty intense. Whereas now it's just very casual. For me, running a three-hour marathon based on three runs a week and three gym sessions, and those gym sessions, they're not like runner gym sessions. They are literally beach body, bench press, shoulder press gym sessions. Yeah. So I think for me, I'm lucky in the sense that my genetics and my background has helped me get to a point where, where that's easy. Where some people who aren't doing that, it might be a different scenario. They might have to do that intensity to get themselves to a point where they're fit enough to, to manage that sort of thing. But I think I'm kind of fortunate from that perspective. Well, again, it comes back to that base. You've got years of aerobic base have, building yeah. behind you. And, and people are sitting, well, I can't relate to that because I couldn't run three days a week and do three gym sessions a week and, win, and run a three-hour marathon. But there are always things you can relate to. And I think slowing down that intensity is, is one. Now, I'm going to ask you about the marathon itself because I know you've run a marathon in London before. So what were some of the biggest changes you made on marathon day that helped you perform better that our listeners and viewers could also learn for their marathon performance? I'd say I knew what my fitness levels were before the start of it. So getting that baseline, understanding from your coach, 
where you're at. And I think the guidance from your coach from that perspective is massive because they'll be able to see your sessions. The reason why at New Levels we tell people to upload their stats to final surge isn't just for the fun of it. It's so this coach can see the information exactly. and see the heart rate and see the intensity that you're doing your training at. And then they can work out what pace to run in a marathon distance. And because of my background, sports science, Loughborough, all this sort of stuff, I've got that innately. And I knew that at that point in time. So the marathon I did when I was unfit and healthy, I just chanced it. I thought people can run 3.15 that I, like, I'll need to do three hours. So this is a good point. So you you thought people who I usually beat or I run with can run 3.15. So the classic comparing yourself to the people, which is what people do. Yeah, yeah. I've got a friend at the running club who I train with and they've ran 3.30 or they've ran 4.30 for marathon. I'll be able to do the same. Yeah, yeah. Mistake number one. Huge mistake. Yeah. I was, uh, like, for, for my body weight and for, for my, th- I was overweight for, for what I wanted to do. Uh, and I know that's not nice to say, and it's sometimes it's not the way running should be and any way anyone else can run, and it's not about that. But for me, in my moment and the time I wanted to run, I was. So that, I didn't prepare. I didn't prepare correctly. I think that's the, the big word there. I, when I'm, I'm talking like eating yeah. Domino's pizzas and kebabs like two or three times a week, it's, it wasn't the best preparation. And that's probably going to impact like your knee injury. Exactly. Because you carry more weight relative to yourself. 100%. And again, it's not about, we're not telling people not to eat because you've got to fuel a lot when you go to the marathon. But what we're saying is you've got to fuel properly and you've got to respect your body and you've got to know your own body. Yeah, definitely. And the pacing is something that even in the marathon, the Chester marathon that I did a couple of weeks ago, I had you in my mind at about halfway because <laughs> Lewis always preaches to his athletes and all the other coaches that work at new levels is that pace yourself, negative splits. And it's so, so true. And the feeling that I got knowing my current fitness and doing a negative split and coming through so fast at the end compared to everyone else was the best. It was such a good feeling. Even though I didn't run like what everyone thinks is an amazing time of sub three hours. One, I didn't care. I wanted to do a good marathon time and I did that. I felt amazing for that last, like last 5K was like, some 20 minutes or something was powering past people yeah and that was massive for me so at the time in that london marathon i did i went through in sub 90 when i was probably in 235 240 so sub uh, sub 90 when i was in 330 or 340 shape yeah was i knew i was probably in at least 310 shape here today so going through halfway at in 33 uh, sorry 93 was was fine yeah, so I was tracking you and I seen you'd just gone through in, yeah, 93. So you were just inside 307 pace through halfway. Yeah. And then you finished in? It was 302. Oh, my Garmin was 302, but official time was 303. So it was 303. So 303. So just to put that into perspective, you then ran inside 90 minutes for the second half yep. because you, you just did it inside 90. So you went 93, 90. Now, in an ideal world, we'd get that negative split oh, a yeah. bit closer together. But you, what I like about it is you played it safe and you and you ran cautiously, which allowed you to finish strong. And I asked you the question, how did you feel after? And you said, well, didn't feel too bad, actually. My quads were a bit sore a couple of days after. I gave myself five to six days off. But this is what we want to preach to the people who, who are running is, they're able to get back into running because they've not destroyed themselves by running the, the kind of wrong way. But more importantly, majority of the people that we coach, they do it for an in- enjoyment factor yeah. because it's such an important part of their life. Now, they may have time goals associated with that, absolutely. And we'll say, this is still the best strategy to try and achieve that time goal. But what it'll allow you to do, it will allow you to enjoy the marathon 
where so many people come away from the marathon hating every step because all that they remember is the last 5K, which was so painful because they hit the so-called wall. And as you quite rightly point out, you can run your fastest 5K at the end of a marathon. Definitely. And I would recommend doing it that way every single time. It's just so much more fun. Unless you're competing at a level to to win a race or at the front end, like I don't see the point. Like you, It's a long way. You get to half marathon, and that's a half marathon. That's long way to run. And you've still got half left. And you're just halfway. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think if you can do one thing in a marathon, it's just forget about the times. You want to enjoy it. Listen to your coach. They're going to give you the right advice in the right time that you're going to run. Just copy that. Like, it's so simple. We, we talk about having like 5% of the energy focused on the time and then 95% focused on the process and, 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 your, and your values. And, and again, that comes back to one of them being enjoyment. I want to enjoy this. Um, but if you get too obsessed with that time and you start running to split again, we discussed this on the last podca- podcast with Matt Long, people become obsessed with splits and we know they're not always accurate anyway in marathons, but it can really like mess with your mind and and that is a problem in itself when it comes comes to the marathon like, like i think I, I can say this now in hindsight with years of experience and say just do it that way but the reality is i didn't push myself to my limit of what my body could do i probably yeah. could have run about 255 or 250 or something probably I, um and when i was younger all i cared about were times yeah all i cared about was pushing myself and and beating people and running fast reps and improving and that's in the locker now so you can't just say, I, I watch podcasts sometimes and you see these really rich business people talk about their morning routines and how amazing they are and what particular things they do. Reality is when they were building their businesses, they weren't doing any of no, that stuff. They were no. just working yeah. really, really yeah. hard, not caring about anything or anyone yeah. to build that business. And the same thing for the best athletes. They can talk about it now on an elite level when they've got the best physios, the best coaches, the best trainers. But they weren't doing that when they were 16, 17, 18. They were grinding. Yeah. So, yeah, we can talk about it from that perspective. But if you are running recreationally for fun in a major marathon, like, enjoy it. <laughs> and, and I'll add to that and say, so if you're going out there for fun, enjoyment, and you and you want to enjoy it, then, yes, there's, there's a strategy there that you can take and, and you can learn from. But also, if you're out there to, to compete at your highest level it's all relative doesn't matter what level that is whether you're looking to to break an an even number which it always is whether you're looking to go under (laughs) five hours six hours four hours three hours it's always round numbers um you've got to i'm going to go back to matt's point here the the most common we say, mistake we see people make with marathon training, I would say almost any endurance event is the reason they fail is because they're underprepared, mm. and underprepared can also in be relation to pacing because they get their pacing wrong. They they didn't do enough preparation around how they were going to pace that race, but it can be fueling, it can be the training, it can be cutting corners, it can be going to hacks. So for the people who are a bit more time bound or they may be chasing the qualifying time what i would say to you is do everything that you can to prepare yourself in the best possible way but then trust and you used that word before trust your strategy if you've got a coach or trust the strategy that you are putting in place yourself and execute it on the day because one of the mistakes people make as you made in london is they then feel good on the day and they go oh you know what i'm just feeling good i'm just gonna roll with it yeah you did and the tendency was there for me on the weekend and that compared myself to like there's a group a pack in front of you you think oh they're going quite a similar pace to us i'll chase that pack or you'll stay with that pack and they go a bit quicker than your expected time and you think oh it's okay i'll go with it but on the chester event i went no 
I shut my arms, took a big breath and let them go. Love that. And I did that on numerous occasions. And I think obviously nowadays with watches and heart rates, having that information is is amazing. It's a tool. Like I know we talk about not racing with watches and not thinking about those sort of things. But it can help. It really did help yeah. me because I knew when my heart rate was getting to 160, I was going, okay, that's heading towards my uncomfortable mm, zone. Yeah. I had to go back down to the 150s. I could push myself in the last 5, 10K if I need to. But I was controlling my race with that heart rate. Yeah. And if I knew was she was shooting up to 170, 180, it was game over. And I need to just jog. Yeah. And walk. <laughs> I think that's a really good place to finish is that, you know, technology can help us at times. But I really like the way that you brought something that, you know, psychologists would refer to as like a calming method. Um, almost meditation whilst you're running a breathing technique to take a deep breath. Some people talk about like two short puts in a one long breath out to calm the central nervous system, mm. but also just to take that, almost that mental realization of, okay, what's going on here? What do I need to do? How how do I need to react in this situation? What that shows to me as a coach is you're in full control. Yeah. You weren't running anybody else's race. You're like, I'm in control of this and I'm listening to myself, my body. I'm, I'm taking in the split, but I'm also listening to my body. And that that for me is the most important factor. So lots of learnings there from uh, from one episode. I hope you've enjoyed that. A uh, big, well, massive thanks to Matt because he's, he's shared a lot of information there and a lot of personal information. So thanks for going quite deep there, Matt. Really was, appreciate it. Great to be on. I've enjoyed the last few podcasts you've done over the last few weeks. I'm looking forward to see what comes up over the next few months. Well, what is coming up? So we're going to talk all things marathons as we build into Valencia. Valencia Marathon is kind of the last huge major marathon of the year. I'm so sure there'll be some super fast times there. The Valencia half has just been. So we're going to talk a lot more about marathons we're also going to focus a little bit more on the trails and ultras some of our team nlc athletes are going to finish off their trail and ultra season as they head into 2024 as they aim towards utmb and as always our aim is to provide you with lots of inspiration and lots of learnings for you to take away so you can quite literally run with it so hopefully you've had a lot of those today we will catch you all again very soon best of luck to everybody racing enjoy your training and we'll see you all again very very soon